Welcome to another Solid Rock Church podcast by Bishop Larry Ragland, Senior Pastor of Solid Rock Church. For more information and content, please visit solidrockchurch.com. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and you have a blessed day. Close this series out, supposedly, you know, I'm always open to God, is that you will see yourself when you leave this place today wearing a coat in the spirit realm just like this made up of all the torn up, thrown away pieces of your life the people that's dropped you hurt you, broke you tried to destroy you we just sold a rag with their name on it come on somebody I don't care what you call me what you did to me what you didn't know I, I, I love what Peter said Peter, when Peter was rebuking the 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 synagogue and all the people post-resurrection for crucified for for him for Jesus coming and showing himself as the Messiah that they say they were longing for. He said, but you crucified him. You killed him. You nailed him on a tree. But if you would have known what would become what would come of your actions, Peter said, you would have never crucified him. Because what you thought you were doing is not what actually happened. Because there is no New Testament without the death of the testator. So when when you thought you'd done something and he cried out and said it is finished and bowed his head and died on that cross. And you thought you won a victory. What you didn't realize is the fulfillment of the prophecy in the garden. When he said the serpent will bruise your heel but you will crush his head. Come on are y'all hearing me? Can I tell you something? If you would have known when you was dropping me, breaking me, kicking me, mocking me, trying to just, if you would have only known what you would push me to, what you would cause me to believe about myself, what you would cause me to cry out to God and ask Him to change me, mold me, fashion me, chisel me, create in me a clean heart. If you only knew what you would, what I would wear a coat out of what you did to me. Every prison you threw me in, every pit you dropped me in, every false accusation you had against me, just like Joseph. If you would only knew See, them brothers, if they would have known throwing them in the pit would have ended up the way it's going to end up today, they wouldn't have thrown them in the pit. They'd have never sold them into slavery if they'd have known that selling them into slavery would bring them back to the end of the story. They'd have never thrown them in prison if they would have, if they would have known that in prison there would be somebody that needed a dream interpreted that would get them out of prison and not just get Joseph out of prison but set him at the right hand of Pharaoh. If they, any of them would have known any of that, they'd have never known what they'd have never done what they thought they were doing. Because everything they thought they did. See, when that coat was taken off of them by his brothers at age 17, dipped in the blood, animal blood, taken back to their father and, and told the lie, the narrative that Joseph was dead. And I've told you throughout this series, this is part five, I've told you throughout this series, you've got to understand some of the thing that kept Joseph is that Joseph lost his coat that day, but he didn't lose his anointing. He lost his coat that day, but he didn't lose his favor. He lost his coat that day, but he didn't lose his integrity. 
He didn't lose his character. He didn't lose his purpose. Because when his father put that coat on, that represented favor with man. But when he woke, before he ever put the coat on, to have favor with his daddy, God had gave him a dream that put a coat on him of a favor. So see, listen, you gotta understand something. In the natural, he wasn't wearing his coat anymore, but in the spirit, he was still wearing it because he wasn't wearing it, the coat was wearing him. It was in his DNA, it was in his blood, it was in everything he is, it was in every fiber of his being. You can't separate my DNA from itself. Y'all hear me? So every time when he was thrown in the pit, God just sold another piece of fabric on his coat. Pit. Pit happens. The prison. Another patch. Falk accus accusation of rape. Okay. I don't like it, but it's another patch. Prison. Another patch. That coat, if you could see that coat in the spirit realm, the coat of many colors that's so famous in the natural realm would pale in comparison. Because this coat that I'm wearing on the inside of me is the coat of the glory of God. Man, I look good in the spirit realm. Hmm. I, I mean, I, I got a six pack. Right now I got a keg. But in the natural, on the inside, man, I look good. I'm sharp dressed because I'm clothed in the mantle of the remnant. Are y'all hearing me? So today as we finish, listen to this. Age 17, he lost the coat. For the next 13 years, listen to me. 13 years, he was driven by two dreams. At age 17, God gave him two dreams. And in that dream, all of his brothers would bow before him and even his father and mother. He had favor, which was the coat. He was stripped of that coat. He was thrown into a pit. He was sold into slavery and he was sent to prison. But now, after 13 years, he was the second most powerful man in all of the world. In all of the world. There was no more powerful government or entity in the world than the Egyptians at that time. And to be second in command to Pharaoh meant you as a Hebrew were now the second most powerful man in the world. And in 13 years, he took him from a teenage boy with a dream to the second most powerful man in the world. Genesis 41, 46 says this, Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Sometime when we pick up this story right now is even later than that. It is now into the second year of the famine. Remember the dream? 
of the cows and the wheat that Pharaoh had that Joseph interpreted? He said, here's the interpretation of the two dreams. God has given you these dreams. He's warning you, and he's allowed me to be standing here to give you this warning. You're about to go into seven years of plenty like you've never seen. But don't take it for granted. Store, prepare for what is coming because there is a drought as if the, as this, as the world has never seen that's coming. There'll be seven years of plenty, and there'll be seven years of great famine. That if you do not do what you were supposed to do in the seven years of plenty, you will not survive the seven years of famine. Are you alive, church? So now, nine years after he had interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh, seven years of plenty had come and gone. We are now two years into the famine. During those nine years, Pharaoh had put him at his right hand. He had given him his daughter. He had started a family. Joseph, the teenage boy, now was a man. He had, his ch he had children. He had a family. He was widely known and respected among the Egyptians and even the world system. He, was fo he, had, he had followed their laws and he had learned their customs. But he had never, just like Moses, who was raised in the Egyptian home, he was raised to, to believe that he was an Egyptian, even Moses was. But, but here we have Joseph. He was raised. He looked like an Egyptian. He dressed like an Egyptian. He had all the Egyptians bowed towards him as the authority. But Joseph, no matter what the world gave him, never forgot who he really was. He was not an Egyptian. He was, a, he was a part of the Jews. He was a part of God's people. Are y'all with me, church? I'm setting up for something that's going to blow your mind. He never forgot the dream. He never forgot who he was. And he never forgot his family. You can take me down in the monitor. Not a lot, just a hair. Especially this one, if it's in bed. He never forgot his family. As I said, two years into the famine, the house of Jacob had run out of all of their grain and food. They had had seven years of plenty as well. They did not necessarily know the warning that Pharaoh had knew. And here we are two years in. They were at the end. They had no more grain. They had no more left to feed their animals. Their animals were dying. And Jacob's family and his brothers were dying. Two years into the, house, into the famine, Jacob looks at his, this is in the Bible. I'm going to tell you a lot of this story because there's a lot of reading that I'm not going to have time to do today. You can go back and read it. Jacob looks at his ten sons that are there remaining, and he says, I have heard that there is grain in the land of Egypt for sale. Go and buy us food that we may live and not die. But he looked at his youngest son, Benjamin, and he said, you're not going. You're staying with me. But all the others are going. So he sent them away, and he kept Benjamin with him. When they arrived in Egypt, they went through the proper protocols and the word got to Joseph that there was Hebrews there to see him. They had no idea who he was, but he immediately knew who they were. Are y'all hearing me? When they arrived, they were taken to Joseph, the governor of Egypt, in their eyes, but their brother in Joseph's eyes. Genesis chapter 42 verse 8 says this. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered <laughs> the dreams 
which he had dreamed about them. They had, were convinced that they had killed the dream. But when Joseph saw them standing before him, see, Joseph, Joseph still, he never forgot the dream. But can you not imagine that there were so many times that he had to think, how is this ever going to happen? What does this really mean? I will probably never see them again. The Hebrew people are hated by the Egyptian people. I'll never see my father or brothers again until he saw his brothers. And he began to not only remember the dream, he knew exactly what he was doing. Are y'all with me, church? You're quiet because you're taking it in, right? And listen to what he said. He said to them, you are spies. God begins to be cunning through him. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. He's triggering them. He's pulling on them. He wants to know the truth of why they're really there. See, I'm going to tell you something about the remnant mantle. You might want to write this down. You might want to say this out loud. The remnant mantle will always give you power to see the big picture. That's why I call my podcast and everything the big picture. Because one of the greatest revelations of my life was one of the simplest revelations of my life. And that was simply it. If you want to have peace, if you want to have joy, if you want to believe that all things are possible, you've got to be big picture. You've got to see beyond what's before you. You've got to, you've got to hear beyond what was just said. You can't be moved by what you see. You can't be moved by what you hear. You gotta be big picture. You gotta, what does that mean? You gotta trust that your God can see things beyond and over the hill. And if He can see things over the hill and He told you to climb that hill, then you're gonna have to trust Him in the big picture of what's on the other side of that hill. He wouldn't tell me to climb a mountain just to kill me on the mountain. Are you hearing me, church? The remnant mantle is a big picture mantle. But those who are not wearing the remnant mantle, listen to me, will never be able to discern the moment. Those brothers were not wearing the coat of favor. So they had no way to discern the moment. But Joseph immediately knew the moment. Did you hear me? Do not miss this moment. It may feel like the worst moment of your life. But the worst moment in your life, and I speak from experience, can become the, the beginning of the greatest season of your life. Because sometimes you're going to have to go down before you'll trust God. Sometimes you're going to have to go through the valley before you can ever believe that God can get you to the top of the mountain. Listen to this. I want to read you one scripture that's off of the story of Joseph but is relevant to this moment. One of the things that I'm a part of a group called the Gatekeepers. And it's a, it's a group of pastors from all over the Birmingham area, all races, all denominations. And we gather together, we pray, and we pray to influence governmental leaders for the kingdom. The DA, Jefferson County DA, comes in and speaks to us privately. The mayor of Birmingham comes in and speaks to us privately. The attorney general of the state of Alabama has come in and talked to us privately. 
I could go on and on. State people that are running for the Senate, people that are running for the governor, every single candidate that ran for the, the city of Birmingham mayor or race, the last two races, came in with about 15 of us pastors and stood before us with no press and a- answered every question we had. Wanted our prayer, wanted our advice. These kind of things are going on, y'all, that you don't know about. God is raising up men and women of God that are influencing our government again. And we, come on, give the Lord a praise. I'm telling you this not to brag on myself, but I think it's time you know some of the things that your pastor is doing. That that the voice of this house has. State senators, state representatives, governor candidates of both parties have come in and sat before us. And listen to this. This is, this is the moment that we are. This is what we say when we gather together. We pray and we declare that we are a part of this generation, a discerner of the times. Listen to what 1 Chronicles 12, 32 says. We declare that we are the sons of Issachar. It says, the sons of Issachar who had an understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Are you hearing me? There is a generation, the remnant generation, will operate under the anointing of the sons of Issachar. The gatekeepers, are you hearing me? That will stand at the gate and be able to look out over the horizon and will be able to see and discern the things and the times and the moment. And will know from the voice of God what they are to say, what they are to do, and how they are to equip and rise up the remnant. Are you hearing me, church? This is, I got up this morning and I, and I said this, I heard this from the Lord. This will not be a shouting, hooting, and hollering service when you preach, but this will be a monumental message that you will speak that will shift the atmosphere not only of this place, but the words that are coming out of your mouth today is what the Lord said to me, will shift the atmosphere over this region. Are you hearing me? Over this region. I'm not under a pastoral anointing this morning. I am under an apostolic anointing this morning. I declare that this church will be a sons of Issachar church. Whoa, I feel the Holy Ghost. I say it. I declare that Solid Rock will be a sons of Issachar church. We will be able to understand the times. We will be able to discern what the church is supposed to do. You know how you know how you be, become a part of a church that the sun that is operating under the mantle of the sons of Issachar, then you have to operate under the mantle of the sons of Issachar over your own house. Why would you expect for God to show you what the church will do when you will not allow him to show you what you need to do over your own house? See, listen to me. It's another tweetable moment for you if you want to. It is not enough for you to know that you are favored. You have to know what the purpose of that favor is. And I'm going to help you take off the checklist 
The first thing you need to know when you're trying to figure out, write down a list, why am I favored? No, make you a column, things I'm favored for, things this favor is on me for, things this favor is not on me for. First one in the column that it's not on you for is you. God has not anointed you and favored you for you. The anointing is, comes on you to lay hands upon the sick, to open blinded eyes, to speak to the captive, be set free, to go into all the world and preach to God. Even Jesus, when he found the place in Isaiah and he opened it up, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to open blinded eyes, to set the captive free. The favor's not on you for a new car. If you get a new car, praise the Lord. But the favor of God is on you so that you can impact someone else's life. Woo! I can tell I'm hitting home because there ain't a whole lot of clapping today. Let me tell you something, preachers and pastors. If your message that you're preaching can't work on the mountains of Cusco, you don't need to preach it in your pulpit in, in your church. Are you hearing me? If your message cannot stand in the bush of Kenya when, they, when it took us seven hours to drive just to get to a place that no white man had ever been seen before, if you can't stand up in the middle of a tribe, my God, when people are still dressed in tribal gear, living by, and preach the message in that tribe and get people saved and delivered, then you need to stop preaching it in your church. remember when I got in that van. They said, where are we going? I was in Nairobi, Kenya by myself. Three times I went to Kenya by myself. I was in Kenya by myself. They put us in a van. I said, how long is it going to take us to get where we're going? They said, it's going to take a few hours. They didn't want to tell me. We got going down the road. It ended up being seven hours. Seven hours driving down the road. There's no pavement. Three hours of it. Driving through a field of corn and different things. Not a single house. No cell phone signal. Nothing. I didn't tell my wife where I was going because I didn't know. So I end up in the village. Seven hours out what they call the bush. With a tribe of people who have never gone to a city. They have no cars. They have no running water. No, no plumbing. Nothing. What you see on TV when you watch something, that's what it was. It was as, it was as, as old school in the way that that they have always been as there ever was that I'd ever seen in my life. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, if it took us seven hours here, I'm starting factoring, how long are we going to be here before we go back? That's when they told me we ain't going back. I was like, what? They said, no, there's nothing I forgot to tell you. We're going to sleep on the ground tonight in the village. We're going to preach today. We're going to give them Jesus. They're going, to hear, they're going to hear the name Jesus for the first time in their existence today. And they've never seen nobody like you. They've heard, they've heard stories about you, and every story they ever heard about people like you is really bad. I'm just being real with y'all. It ain't good. Y'all hear me? And I, and I could tell it when they was looking at me. I could see it in their eyes, stories that they'd heard. Who is this person that's come to our village? And I wasn't afraid. First I was afraid. I was petrified. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I don't know why that came to me. I, was, I wasn't afraid. But I, but I was just like, God, what's happening? 
What's happening? What, what am I going to do here? So I started thinking about all the sermons that I'd preached at my church. And God said, no, 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 no. The simplicity of the gospel is why it is still here. You don't worry about the looks you get. You don't worry about what they say. You don't worry about any kind of whisper that you see them doing. You just get up. And I didn't know it at that time, but now I know what it was. God was saying, discern the moment. And I will tell you what to do. I stood there in front of those people on this makeshift little stage that they made in the middle of this where they all come together and traded. They gave me a microphone with an interpreter. And I just preached Jesus. And people started crying because they'd never been told that anybody would love them so much that they'd die for them. And that God, their version of God was not the God I was telling them. But you could see it on their faces as they went from angry what they were hearing to receiving it. And they realized that God became one of us because he loved us. And in a village where if I would have got sick and died or something would have happened to me, if somebody would have tagged me, whatever, there was no way of calling anyone. No one would have known. My wife would have had no idea. She thought I was in the city. I thought I was going to be in the city. No one knew where I was. But God knew where I was. And that night, five villagers walked down and gave their life to Jesus. And that night, the whole village made me a stew of potatoes and stood at the door and watched the visitor eat by himself. Because the only thing they could give me a few pieces of potato and water. But they wanted to honor the man that came to their village. And that was the beginning of when God began to speak to me. Oh, you can get deep in America and you can get in deep with some places, but never forget the, at the core of it all, it has to be the gospel and it has to work everywhere. Are y'all hearing me? America doesn't need another shiny shoe, slick haired preacher that can twist the words. America needs a man or woman of God that will speak the words of God. I'm sick of politics. I'm sick of division. I'm sick of people bringing politics into the pulpit. honest with you. I'm sick of people bringing race into the pulpit. I'm sick of people bringing my God, generational curses into the pulpit. If that's the kind of church you're looking for, if that's the pastor you want, you ain't in it. You still love your pastor? Joseph immediately kicked into the mode of the moment. He knew this is my only shot to see my daddy again. So God began to set into motion a plan 
If he'd have said, hey, I'm Joseph, go tell daddy to come, it wouldn't have worked. It would have never worked. So he said, I got to play the long game. I got to play the big picture. I got to put into place, God, show me how to get my daddy here. Show me how to get my little brother here. Because you show me what is coming. And I got a shot now to make sure my brothers and their families and their wives and their children and my daddy and my brother can survive this. I can't miss this moment. If Joseph would have just gave him grain and let him go, let me tell you something, he'd have died by himself in Egypt. But a son of Issachar anointing was on Joseph. He knew, God, I see what you're doing here. I know what it looks like. I know it looks like a plague. I know it looks like God has forsaken the world. But I see you working. In fact, God, you already told me this was coming. For nine years, I've known it. For five more, I know it's coming. But look what you have done. I think it's interesting how two years keeps coming up. I want you to think about what we've gone through over the last two years. Are y'all hearing me? I'm going to skip ahead of myself and I'm going back. I want to read that last verse right now because I feel the Lord telling me that Amos verse. See, we ain't been in a famine of food, but it's getting there too. But listen to what God promised would happen in a generation to come. Amos 8.11 if you can just go to that one. I know it was supposed to be the last one. Amos 8, 11 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor of thirst or water, but a famine of hearing the words of God. Are you hearing me? Let me tell you something. We might not be in a famine on the level of the seven years of famine in Egypt, but we are in a famine. And I'm going to tell you, the last two years, little by little by little, you're beginning to see just how little the people that said they were church folks was actually really eating in plenty. And you're finding out just how many have stored up themselves treasures in heaven. How many of them have really had their priorities right uh, versus how many has just been living by the moment. You know how you did when you got that stimulus check, when you heard about the stimulus check coming and you were told that it was to help you pay your mortgage and to help you pay your rent and you's all big and high and mighty. Oh, I'm going to get some help on my rent. I know what a lot of y'all did. Some of y'all got new flat screens. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all got a new set of tires. Some of y'all got a new wardrobe. Some of y'all went on a vacation somewhere with your stimulus money. Can I tell you something? But when the rent came due and you didn't have the money, you realized you did not discern the moment. Here we are. People have gone through the moment. Where you go to church at? Well, I go down at that church, you know, Larry Ragland's my preacher. I can't stand it when I hear people say that. Well, I've been a member down there for two and 25 years. My granddaddy was a member there. My daddy was a member there. Who's your pastor now? Well, right now where our preacher is, what that means is right now my hired hand is until we get mad and run him off and then we'll get another hired hand. Most of those folks ain't even in church anymore. They didn't quit the church. They got out because of the pandemic and they ain't come back. And I got news for a lot of them ain't coming back. And I hope they do. And I don't know, I'm not speaking individually here, but I'm talking about some of them ain't coming back. 
And we got to move on and love them and pray for them. But we got we to speak to and encourage and equip the remnant that is here. Are you hearing me? He sent them back. And he said, listen, one of y'all going to have to stay. I need leverage. Because I know if I give you food and I don't have leverage, you ain't going to do what I'm telling you to do. I'm going to keep one of y'all. And I want, I want to meet your whole family. This is interesting to me. So I need you to go bring your youngest brother, Benjamin. This is what happened. I want you to hear the difference between those that can discern the moment and to those that are in fear of the moment. Genesis 42, 20 says this. And they did so and they, they said one to another. Right there standing before you. Because see, think about, I'm getting ahead of myself. They were speaking in Hebrew. Everybody there spoke in Egyptian. So if you've ever been around somebody who speaks in another language and you see them over laughing and sort of looking at you and you're like, I wonder what they're saying about me. Because you don't know the language, right? But then some of y'all learn the language and you act like you don't know the language and all of a sudden you'll be like, mm-hmm, I know what you're saying. What's this? They said to one another right there in front of him because they didn't know it was Joseph. We are truly guilty concerning our brother. Because they were like, we're in a trap. How is he going to help us and we got to go back and tell daddy we got to bring Benjamin? Which he said, that's the one ain't never going. So we're in a trap. We are truly guilty concerning our brother. Talking about Joseph. For we saw the anguish on his soul when he pleaded for his life with us. And we would not hear him. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. See, they've lived for the last 13 years assuming there's no way he survived Egypt. He's dead. We didn't kill him, but he's dead. And now here we are, his blood is on our hands. And you can see that they are still tormented because they're looking at each other going, we all remember him pleading for his life for us to pull him out. But we walked away. Listen to the words of Reuben. Verse 22, Reuben answered them saying, did I not speak to you? Did I not say to not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. They thought he was dead. They thought the dream was dead. They thought they were all about to die with him. But God. Are y'all hearing me? All three of the things that they believed about Joseph and even believed about themselves were a lie. See, people who are driven by fear, people who are driven by shame and guilt can never see the dream. If you allow fear to grip you, you will never see hope. Fear is the enemy of hope. Fear will keep giving you hope that one day it will change. How about this? The one day is when you stand up and declare the change. Are y'all hearing me? While you're waiting on change, change is waiting on you. People who are not wearing the remnant coat will not be able to discern the moment. Genesis 42, 23 says this. But they did not know, I love this, that Joseph understood them. <laughs> 
for he spoke to them through an interpreter. How many of those Bible, the Bible says, be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. It was wisdom. He could have just spoken the Hebrew tongue, but he pretended like I need an interpreter. Do you have any other brothers? When they heard, do you have any brothers come out of his mouth, it was in Egyptian. Then they heard the interpreter. So they, but they did not know that Joseph understood every word they said because he spoke to an interpreter. And watch this, when he heard it. Oh, it wrecks me every time I read it. He turned himself away from them and wept. In other words, you've got to get this picture. He's speaking through an interpreter. They literally do not have any idea what is happening. But it is raging on the inside of him. He's just being overwhelmed by the dream. He's like, I thought I'd never see him again. And he's like, I got to stay strong. I got to stay strong. He's like, <clears throat> did, y'all, did y'all do what I told you to do? And he starts talking to his workers and all that. He keeps his back to him long enough for him to dry his eyes. You ever had to do that? He just, <clears throat> Get together, get together. It ain't time. It's coming. It's coming. This is the moment. Now's not the time to reveal. You got to get your daddy here. You got to get your brother here. You got to get all their families. Get together, get together. He turns back around. He begins to talk with him again. He looks at Simeon. He says, I'll keep you the oldest in exchange for the youngest. So he let him tie him up take him off in the presence of his other brothers. Mm. See, right now, the world hears us talking, but they have no idea what we're saying. But we hear them talking, and we know exactly what they're saying. Oh, come on, y'all hear me. Oh, you didn't get it. That's the power of the remnant mantle. That's the power of being a part of the remnant. We're going to say things that the world ain't going to get. But the remnant gets everything the world is saying. We're not tricked by their lies. Uh, We're not going down their path. We're not choosing those words. They've been saying those words generation after generation after generation. We've got something on our side that they don't have on their side. We've got an interpreter. Come on. How many knows God is our interpreter? You know, the Bible said the Spirit of God will bring revelation to us. He'll speak to us. He'll speak through us. So the world don't get us. If you saw some of the messages we got, we started having service again in the gathering. They didn't get us. They interpreted it as dangerous, haphazard. Not caring for our families. Even though we said over and over again, you don't have to come. You can stand in the back. You can wear a mask. You can socially distance. But if you want to come, the doors are open. And the ones that made that decision to come on their own, we were called, listen to me, voicemails, murderers. One lady or man, I can't remember if it was a lady or a man, said, I hope everyone in your church contracts the disease, the virus, and everyone in your church dies. For what, for, for what you are doing. They didn't get it. They saw it. They heard it. But they didn't know. We have to have this. Five people. I said we have to have the gathering of the saints. 
We have to have this. Without this, don't come at me with that mess while I'm the church. I know. I'm telling you right now, I'm so sick and tired of self-righteous people trying to tell me I am the church. 99% of the people that say I am the church ain't doing nothing today but sleeping in. You ain't, you ain't gathered nobody with you. You ain't spoken. When the last time you laid hands on somebody and saw them recover? When the last time you cast out? If you're the church, do you cast out devils every day? If you're the church, is your house an altar? If you're the church, are you giving a word where your neighbors feel convicted by God and fall in the middle of your kitchen and say, what must I do to be saved? If you're the church, what are you doing? Who are you equipping? Who are you raising up? Who are you sending out? Who are you laying hands on? Who are you? You ain't the church. You're a liar. You're a cop out. You've let somebody tell you that and that's condoning your actions. Oh, I know you are the church. I am the church, but I'm, I'm not saying for those that really understand what that means. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. I know that. This is just a building. Nothing more. I know that. But it becomes the house of God when the church comes together and has church. Every gathering is not the church. Some gatherings are, not, are, are the opposite of the church. They're demonic. Oh, I'm preaching better than you shouting. I don't care if I preached at 2 o'clock today. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I mean, I don't care. I'm not playing. When you wear this coat, listen to me for just a few more minutes. You will stand before people who mocked you, gossiped about you, and tried to destroy you. You will realize in that moment, if you are a son of Issachar, that God has called you to reach the very ones that tried to kill you. Because when they stand before you and need help, they're only standing before you because God has brought them before the ones that he knows has the help. You may cry. You may be hurt. Those feelings of what they did may come up. And you may be overwhelmed by the moment. Just turn around. Let God just run it through you. Deal with it. Scream and shout. And get it out. Wipe the tears. And turn back around in the moment. One of the hardest things I ever did in my life. It went after years and years and years of asking my father to come and see his grandchildren. And he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't come and see his son and tell me that I was a good dad and a good husband. And I had so much stuff inside of me that, I had, that had been done to me and said to me. So many things broken. And I saw him one day and was overwhelmed by it. I didn't, I was sort of didn't know what to do at that moment. I'd made promises to God, but when you're in that moment, sometimes you're just gripped. As he walks by me, just says, hey, walks by, how you doing, how you doing? Something came out of me that shocked me. I had longed to hear him say, Larry, forgive me for what I did. But he was not going to say it. He was not going to say it. He was leaving. But I stopped him and I said, Dad, yeah, son, 
I said, if I've ever done anything to ever hurt you or offend you, I'm asking you, please forgive me. Will you do that? And I'm ready. I'm ready for that big moment. Quite frankly, part of me was trying to trick him. Because in my mind, I had played the scenario. Oh, the words that's going to come out of his mouth is no, 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 son. No, you and I both know you ain't never done anything. You were 10 years old when you left me. You didn't hurt me. You were a kid. I'm the one that needs to ask you to forgive me. But my dad looked at me and he said, I forgive you. And he got in his car and shut the door. And I'm standing there trying to be a son of Issachar, saying inside of me, God, I thought I discerned this moment. I thought this was going to be different. And it was like God was just saying, Hey, son, do you think you could ever find it in your heart to forgive me? Man, 10,000 pounds just lifted when I said, I forgive you a long time ago, but I thank you for saying it. That was the last words I ever heard my daddy say. Last words I ever heard come out of his mouth was, will you forgive me? Oh, y'all hearing me? It ain't going to be easy. You're going to cry. It ain't going to be, it's, it ain't going to be easy because let me tell you something, nothing easy, nothing that's ever come easy has ever been worth it. When it's handed to you on a silver platter, you never appreciate it. God has raised the remnant up in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a war. Just when you thought all this was over with, here's a war for you. Here's a volcano for you. Here's, here's a mudslide for you. Every time you start saying, man, this summer's going to be different, somebody invades a country, another variant comes. It's going to be relentless because if you don't discern the times, let me tell you something, the devil has discerned the times. He knows he has but a short time. After much persuading their father, and I ain't got time to get in it, against everything that he wanted to do, he reluctantly allowed Benjamin to go back with them. When Joseph saw his little brother, he commanded his servants, I want all of you to come with me. They took him into a feast. They took the brothers into a feast. He took them into a private room, washed their feet, gave them drink, fed their animals. Then at noon, he came in and sat down. Joseph knew the moment that, he was, that was almost finally there. The first thing he said when he sat down, he said, I want to ask you one more question before we eat. You talked about an old man. That old man that you spoke of, you said your father. Is he still alive? They said, he is well. And he is alive. And then they laid. They stood up. And they laid on their faces prostrate before him. And bowed before him. The dream. What God had showed a 17 year old. He's standing there. Never dreamed he'd be standing in Egyptian gold. On an Egyptian crown. With servants. Egyptian servants all around him. Guards. 
And he looks at his younger brother and all the way to his oldest brother. They are laying on their face before him in fear. Verse 29. Then he lifts up his eyes. He sees his brother, Benjamin, his mother's son, his only blood relative. As all the other brothers were born of other mothers. Is this your younger brother in whom you spoke of to me? He said, yes. They said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and tried to find somewhere to cry. And he went into a chamber as far away as he could get from his brother. And he wept. He washed his face. He came out and he restrained himself. He said, give them their bread. Listen, when you discern the moment, instead of vengeance, instead of hatred, instead of spite, Joseph was overwhelmed with joy. If he wasn't remnant, he would have wanted to take it out on him. He could, God, can you not at least let me tell him this way, man, why didn't you pull me out of the pit? I'm not going to kill you or anything, but I just got to know, how could you do that? Instead of, because he was a man of God, he said, serve them the bread. And he sat them down at the table in order of their age, from the firstborn to the youngest, and the men were amazed that he would even know the order of their age. Can you imagine what's going through their mind? They're even more tormented now. When it was time for his brothers to leave, Joseph knew there would only be one way that he would ever, ever see his father again. So God gave him a very sneaky little plan. He secretly placed his own personal goblet that he drank from from the throne into the bag of his youngest brother, Benjamin. He let them go at a safe distance, and then he commanded his soldiers to make haste and go get them and tell them one of you have stolen something from the governor. When they found them, Simeon and all the older brothers said, there's no way we would ever do that. In fact, we're so confident that if you find this goblet, in any of these of my brother's bags, let the man whose goblet it is in the bag be killed before Pharaoh himself. And they found it in Benjamin's bag. And I thought this was so fitting as I closed. When they found it and pulled it out, do you know what the response of every single brother was? They ripped their garments. Every one of them shred their garments it had come full circle they had ripped the garments off of their brother thinking they would stop the dream and here the dream was ripping the garments off of their brothers in the moment watch this do you know who spoke up in that moment how many give me five more minutes come on play this joke with me just make me feel better okay Do you know who spoke up? Get this in your spirit, Austin. Do you know who spoke up? It wasn't the oldest. It wasn't the youngest. In fact, they were all grieving. They were all thinking, we're all about to die. But in the midst of the darkest moment, Judah spoke up. See, only a few know what I'm talking about. The brother Judah spoke up. Can somebody shout what Judah means? 
praise. Let me tell you, when you've been caught, when it all, when you, when your chickens come home to hatch, or whatever it's called, I know I butchered it. When they all come back, I'm telling you, here's the thing, man. They ain't but one thing. Sometimes that can get you out of that mess. Judah, 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 Judah will come out of you. And give things to God you didn't even know was in God. When you're in desperation and you ain't got nothing else to do, Judah will rise up. You better get a Judah anointing on you. If you're going to be remnant, if you're going to be a son of Issachar, you better walk on the mantle of, the, of Judah. How many knows there's a reason, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost, that Jesus himself is known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Oh, out of Judah came David. Out of David came... Judah! Somebody shout Judah! I'm just going to skim over this because there's a lot Joseph could not restrain himself when they brought them all back they all went back with Benjamin they weren't going to let Benjamin die by himself all the way there they thought is it none of us will ever see our father again when they brought him back and they all stood there with Benjamin weeping and shaking with fear Joseph could not restrain himself as they stood before him. And he cried out, I love this. Make everyone get out of this room. Everyone out. Give me the room. Look at his, look at his private security. You two go. Everyone out. Everyone out. Are you sure, sir? Are you sure? Get out. Nobody but me and these men. Get out. Everybody got out, scared to death. What in the world is going on? So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He just like me, he couldn't even hardly talk. He couldn't get the words out. He was weeping so uncontrollably, so loud that the Bible said the Egyptians and even the house of, of Pharaoh himself could hear him crying. And Joseph said to his brothers, Calm down. I am Joseph. Before we go any further, does my father still live? Can you imagine being those brothers? Look at the next words. This is you. This is what would have to be. I don't care who you others are. But his brothers could not answer him. They were dismayed in his presence. They were like, what did you say? I am Joseph. Joseph said to his brothers, come, come near me. So they stepped before him. He said, look at me. You see our daddy. Look at me. Get your eyes off of everything else you see. It's me. It's me. 
Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. But now, listen to me. Therefore, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve your life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land. There are still five years of which is to come that you don't know anything about, but I do. There'll be no plowing. There'll be no harvesting. I can't send you back to daddy enough to keep you alive. God sent me before you to preserve, listen to me, a posterity. Do you know what that word means? A legacy. A legacy for you in this earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. Can I tell you something why God has to raise up a remnant in the end? Because the enemy is picking off the church people like a snapper. And if somebody has not sent before God in the midst of the famine to stand up, not when the famine is over, but in the midst of the famine, there'll be no posterity. There'll be no legacy. There'll be no revival, Joel chapter 2. But if God said it, it's going to happen. So therefore, you can choose to be a part of it or not. Listen, I'll close it. So now I want you to know something, brothers. It was not you who put me in the pit. It was not you who threw me in the prison. And listen to me. It was not you that put me on the throne, but God, and he has made me, watch this, I want you to get these words, a father to Pharaoh. How many times have I preached this story and never stopped on that? until this week. Not only has he put me in charge of everything just under him and set me on his right hand, he has put me in a place where I speak into his life. I am a father to Pharaoh. We would say it this way. He can't let anybody else know that's one of the reasons I put all them out of the room. But I need you to know, I cover Pharaoh. That's what I'm wearing. Are you hearing me? When God set you out front, the world will not know what to say. They're going to be speechless with what's about to happen in all of your lives. But they will be humbled and they will be afraid of what they have done to you. They will see what's on you and the power that's on you and they will be afraid of what's going to come on them because of what they've done to you. Guard your heart. Do not allow vengeance, spite, or anger. 
we must respond as the remnant in this moment. We must remember to respond like Joseph did. God has brought us to this moment for such a time as this. The devil thought he sent the pandemic. The devil thought he, he's, he, he's starting wars. The devil thought all these things. He did all those things to kill the influence of the church. We want the devil to know. Remember, remember what happened? This, and this is the last day of the service. I'm finished with this. They, they came. They went back together. He, father couldn't believe it. He, no, Dad, he's really alive. Joseph is alive. He's calling for you. They're like, oh, my God. They, they all came. They all stood before him, wept and wept and wept. He, he, the Bible said he, he put his, his face upon the neck of his father who could not let go. It, it, it implies that he sobbed for minutes and 10 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe even an hour on his brothers and his father. And when they all got together, he's, then he said, here's the thing. I'm trying to turn my iPad off to make y'all feel good. He, 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 he says something powerful. Can an old man do this? Yeah. He said something powerful. He said, now listen. I'm about to bring Pharaoh in. But you got to get this man. And I'm about to bring all my servants back in. And they're Egyptians. They've sort of forgot that I'm a Hebrew. Because of who I am. They're not going to like you. They hate you. They consider you be dogs. And the one occupation that they hate, this is in your Bible. This is not me implying what your Bible is. This is in your Bible. It says this in Scripture when you go back and read. The one occupation they hate the most is a shepherd. That's what it says. So when Pharaoh comes in, I'm going to give you talking points. It's literally, it's literally what he said. I'm going to give you talking points. When he looks at you, he's going he's to be so happy to see you because he loves me that much and he knows you're my father and my brother. He's going to be so happy. And then he's going to ask you, what is your occupation? Be sure, no matter what you've taken up now, be sure every one of you say shepherds. Because when you say shepherds, they will not want you living in the land. They will put you over pasture away from the people so they stood before, before Pharaoh come in Pharaoh was overwhelmed he was so excited he was so excited to see the father of his chosen spiritual son spiritual father whatever you want to call him he, he says sir you're his father yes but what is the occupation of you and your sons well sir we're just lowly shepherds We've needed some shepherds because we ain't got none because everybody hates to do it. So, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to turn all over all the livestock. We're going to turn over all, which basically was wealth. We're going to put you in a land that's so big. You got nobody wants to go over there, so you got plenty of room to grow. And we'll just stick you out there and ostracize you. And then Joseph's going to stay here with me, and he can go over there, and he can check on y'all. And they went to a place called Goshen. 
Bible says, Joseph, when, when, uh, when Jacob came, this is what he says. It's, it's, I had to look it up to figure out what he meant by this. He said, I will go to Egypt if what you're saying is true. And my son will lay his fingers on my eyes. And I said, lay his finger on my eyes? He's going to stick his finger in his eye and anoint him that way? What does that mean? And I looked it up in several trials. And what it means is, when I die, my son that I thought was dead will close my eyes. That's what your Bible says. And he did. He was there at the deathbed of his father. And he closed his eyes. And he looked at Joseph later on, looked at his own sons. And he said, listen, there's going to come a day. Everybody's not going to love you like they do now. And when you come out of this place, Whatever you do, I don't care how long it's been after I'm gone. I'm coming out with you. Do not leave my bones here. Take my bones with you. When Moses stood before the Pharaoh that hated the, hated the Hebrews and he finally let them go, Moses gathered the people after the Passover and said, we're going, but hold up. There's one more thing. They went and found the box that held the bones of the remnant man. Shut up, Oka. I don't care how late it is right now. Somebody's getting something right now. Something is shifting in this atmosphere. The bones were still anointed. You don't think bones can be anointed? Elisha had been dead for so long laying in the pit that the flesh had already fell off of his bones and there was nothing left but his skull and his skeleton. And another dead man a generation later fell into the tomb accidentally, touched the bones of Elijah and stood up and was raised from the dead. Do you know what we're operating under right now? We are operating under the mantle of the bones of Billy Graham, the mantle of the bones of Oral Roberts, the mantle of the bones of Smith Wigglesworth, the mantle of the one of Seymour. Are y'all hearing me? The men of God that have died and gone on before us. That is what we are wearing. your kids teach your grandkids I think I'm going in the rapture side. I think I'm part of that generation you live every day of your life like you are but if you ain't if it's your kids generation if your grandkids generation you teach them what's on me even if I'm gone
when they stand before you and they've hurt you and they've said things that's dug like a knife in your heart. Not only about you as a parent, but the God that you believe in, that you've given your whole life to. Turn that knife. One day, I'm going to stand before you. Mama, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Don't you dare respond out of your heart. This is for somebody right now. I'm telling you, don't you worry about the time. This is for somebody. Discern the moment. Gather yourself. I'm not resigning. That's not what I'm saying. I'm your pastor till I die. I have to have you see the moment and who you are because there's slacks going to happen at times. Things that Sandy and I have always done, things that certain leaders have been doing, and they've got so many irons in the fire, they're wore out and they're tired. But what God wants to do in this house, the voice that he wants this house to be in this moment, you're going to have to come out of your comfort zone. You're going to have to adjust what means the most to you. You're going to have to be a son of Issachar. Discern the moment. Discern your moment. 
I'm your pastor. If I'm your pastor online and you just can't get here, and God has connected us in the spirit, and we're speaking into your life, I need you to petition God for me. Because I, I know in my spirit the attacks that are coming against me and my family and against this house. What God is calling me to do in this moment. The enemy will try to stop. There are pastors that are pulling on me and pulling on this house. They're saying things like this to me. I heard this twice this week from two different denominations, major denominations. I've been in this denomination my whole life. I cannot get anyone in my denomination to help me, speaking in my life to give me advice. So I'm watching Solid Rock. I'm mimicking and I'm believing that if God can do that here, there, he can do that here. That's what they're telling me. All over this country, people are messaging us and telling us, don't stop. We found you somehow. You're giving us life. That don't mean me. It means this house and you. So I don't know in the future how many services are going to go to 1230, 1245, 1 o'clock. I don't know. I don't know. And beyond, I don't know. We're going to shoot for 12 o'clock every single time. I don't know. But I can tell you this. We're not going to hold you just to hold you. If we're in a moment like this, we're going to discern this moment. And I don't care if I talk three hours and I'm talking to hear my voice. I'm being a father in this moment. So I'm asking you to pray for me. I'm asking you to help me because it ain't just you helping me. It's this house. It's the voice. The doors are about to swing wide open. And God is about to put this house and this church and this ministry and your pastor and many other leaders in this house and this worship team in front of the faces and in the ears of very influential and powerful people within the church and outside of the church. There will be money involved. There will be opportunities involved. Some of them will be the favor of God to bless, but some of them will be tricks. And they will be traps. Pray that your leaders, that the elders, that the, the, the ministers of this house the deacons of this house will discern the moment and cover this house in prayer so that we will not step into the traps, that we will stay faithful like Joseph. <laughs>